Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9 with me? And I'm going to get into the preaching here in just a moment. Amen. Give honor to Pastor and his wife. Amen. He is out of town on a, a big hunting trip today. And uh, we prayed for him last time, and he killed a trophy elk. So pray, saints, pray. In fact, y'all can spread that prayer around if you want. Pastor's not the only one who has to kill a big deer. <laughs> Amen. I'm honored to be in the pulpit today. And I believe God gave me a message. Actually, it's been a few weeks back now um, in anticipation of this service. And um, I'm so glad, so glad that we are gathered. Listen, God is doing some amazing things at Christian Life Church. Amen. How many of you have been involved in the Wednesday night classes? God is doing some amazing things. Amen. Uh, Matt, it's good to see you here today. Matt, uh, they're here today because they came to our men's luncheon. And uh, we, we have a weekly men's lunch every Thursday. And listen, God is raising up a generation of men, some strong men, some godly men in this church. We've got ladies doing coffee and conversation. We've got these classes going deeper in prayer. And listen, I just have a sense of expectation that God is about to blow the doors wide open at Christian Life Church. Does anybody believe that? Listen, God wants this to be a house of healing and a house of hope where people can come and find God. Amen. And I believe it's happening all around us even as we speak. Amen. Amen. 2 Samuel chapter 9, I take you uh, to probably one of the most beautiful pictures of grace that is in the Scripture. It's in the life of King David after he has just been enthroned as the king. And the story takes a shift away from the con consolidation of his power to the story of a man named Mephibosheth. And I just want to read you a few verses because this is a story born out of love. 2 Samuel 9, 1 in the English Standard Version says this, And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Jonathan was like David's brother, that kind of friend. And as David reaches his throne, he's not looking to excommunicate, but he's looking to bring in the relatives of Saul for Jonathan's sake. And he says, now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called to David, and the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan, but he is crippled in his feet. He said, there's one left. But he's crippled. He's got a defect, a deformity. And listen, the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And so David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David. And he fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered and said, Behold, I am your servant. And listen to the words of David to this man. David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I 
will restore to you all the land of Saul your father and you shall eat at my table always. Somebody say you shall eat at my table always. David said you don't have to fear me. You don't have to run from me. You don't have to hide from me. Mephibosheth, there's always going to be a place at my table for you. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you would show regard for a dead dog such as I? And the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him, shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. He said, I'm going to restore everything that Mephibosheth lost. But listen to what he says. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Mephibosheth was wounded, but the scripture shows us that he was welcome. And that's what I want to preach to you today about, being wounded, but welcome. Would you just bow your heads and can we pray for God to talk to us here in this place today. Lord, God, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. I pray, God, that it would shine brightly into somebody's soul, into the dark corners and recesses of their mind. God, I pray that you would speak in this room today, God. Lord, that you would draw somebody in who's been far away, God. Lord, that you would minister and heal somebody that's been hurting. In the name of Jesus, God, we pray for your perfect will to be done in this house and we glorify your name in it. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. God bless you. You can be seated. It is said that big doors swing on little hinges. And as much as we'd all like to think that the outcome of our lives depend on the big moments, the reality is that it's often the little things that bump us in an altogether different direction. Can I get an amen? There are moments that change our stories without us ever realizing it until they have passed. Perhaps a, a chance meeting that turns into something more. A chance opportunity, a passing phase that turns into a lifetime. A few years ago, I heard an amazing sermon that started out with the simple story of the premature death of a fallen great redwood tree. The California redwood is an evergreen tree that at maturity stands nearly 400 feet tall. Can live for thousands of years. It grows at its base to over 30 feet in diameter. And actually they are among the oldest living things on the planet Earth. So you can imagine the surprise of the scientists when they found one of these giant redwoods laid over long before its life was supposed to end. It was March 13th, 1933, when that morning in the woods, someone asked me yesterday if a tree falls in the woods and no one's there to hear it, did it really fall? Well, apparently it does, Brother Jay. Because... When they discovered this tree fallen over, it was merely an adolescent 1,200-year-old tree. That seems like a lot, but less than half of its lifespan had been lived. And here it was on 
the outside it looked perfectly healthy. Perfectly fit. And by looking at it, you never know that there was a problem with this tree until the day that it fell. And, and so they did an autopsy on the tree through tree ring chronology. The scientists began to look at the life of this tree to try to figure out what went wrong in its history. And through the rings, they could look back through the ages. And they looked all the way back into the dark ages where there was a wound that happened in uh, the dark ages from uh, perhaps an earthquake. And, and they looked at it, and, and the, the tree was wounded, but it kept living and growing and thriving at that time. And so they, they went on down through the ages like reading a history book in the rings of this tree. Next they see a scar from the Renaissance, the time of the Renaissance. A strange fungus got a hold of this California redwood and it struggled for a few years, but through this wound it grew and it overcame and it kept standing and it kept growing. And the fungus came, but the fungus didn't take it out. Kind of like a teenage boy. Amen. And then they found where there was a lightning strike around the time of the colonization of the east coast of America that left a scar in the tree. And once again, the tree was wounded, but it survived. It overcame. It's like the bumps and the bruises and the scratches of life were being read in the rings of this great tree. But then in about 1810, perhaps by an Indian campfire, a small campfire or a small fire burned about a 13-foot scar into the side of this tree. And the tree struggled on and it kept living. But this was a different kind of wound. Because from that day forward, the, the tree never really grew the same. Its development and growth slowed immensely. It lived on, but it was wounded. It kept trying, but it was wounded. It kept pushing down roots, but it was having struggle to grow because it was wounded. And until some random day, you would not have known it by looking at the tree. But perhaps some bird landed upon one of its upper limbs or perhaps a slight breeze of the morning air put just enough pressure on the giant redwood and it began its great fall. A gigantic tree that could thrive through millennia ultimately died because of inner wounds that it absorbed from a small fire Hundreds of years before it fell. Big doors swing on little hinges. And the tree that fell looked to everyone who had seen it in the meantime as if it was all right. But it was living on with an inner wound that would ultimately spell its demise. You see, we like to think that life is determined by big moments. But I'm here to preach to someone today in the Holy Ghost that it is often the wounds that we sustain in passing moments that have the power to drive us into a life that we never intended to live. Can I get an amen? Some wounds never heal. There are damages that we take that live on inside of us. 
they can become hinges of the soul. They have the ability to stunt our spiritual growth, to halt our spiritual progress. And ultimately, in the end, they can bring us down. It happened a long time ago, but when you live with it on the inside, it can bring you down in the end. You see, some things we get through, but we never really get over. Can I get an amen? Some things we live on through because that's just the way life is. You've got to put one foot in front of the other. And sometimes you've just got to, to make it. Sometimes you've just got to keep going because there are no other options. And I'm here to preach that there are some things that we get through, but we don't ever really get over it. If we're not careful, the unhealed wounds of yesterday can begin to shape our todays and our tomorrows. If we're not careful, what happened way back when can begin to determine how we interact with our world and relationships in the here and in the now. Why? Because we got through it, but we really didn't get over it. We kept all living and breathing and moving, but we never really recovered. We never really got over it. And here's how you can know when you got through it, but you didn't get over it. The fastest way to tell is when somebody brings it back up. And an attitude that we hadn't felt in a long time comes rising up to the surface. A name that you haven't spoken in a long time gets mentioned and you can feel your hackles rising. You got through it, but you didn't get over it. Our attitude flares. Our spirit is troubled. Our confidence is shattered. Just at the mention of that moment, that event, or that name. We got through it, but we didn't get over it. And I'm here to preach to somebody that history has this incredible way of binding up our beliefs and beginning to inform our impressions and our perceptions. You used to trust people, but now you're operating in the spiritual gift of suspicion. You don't trust anybody anymore. You look at everybody sideways. You're looking for an ulterior motive. And, and, and you can't just believe the best about people. Because you find yourself always waiting for the other shoe to fall. Can I get an, a witness? Am I preaching in here today? <laughs> I know that there's some real people in here. You got through it. But you didn't get over it. And you thought you were through that family stuff. But Thanksgiving dinner comes. Oh, Lord, help us. We're just a few weeks out. We need grace and mercy. And that conversation gets started. And that person that you used to be suddenly rises back up to the surface because you got through it, but you didn't get over it. And I'm preaching that there's stuff that can live on inside of us that changes how we see our worlds right now. It was a long time ago that we got wounded, but we're still living and struggling with the impact of it today. You see, we used to put ourselves out there, but now we hold back because of the fear of failure. We were scarred by our failure and by our trouble. We used to worship God freely, but now when we come to church, all we can think about is how we got burned. How, how we were let down by church people. Does anybody know that you can get wounded in the house of God? You see, we got through it, but we didn't really get over it. 
We were wounded. And sometimes our wounds live on the inside. And, and people say, how are you doing? Oh, I'm living the dream. No, you're not. You're hurting. We got through it, but we didn't get over it. And, and while everything seems okay to the observant eye, we're dying slowly on the inside. You see, this is why Jesus teaches us to pray daily to forgive others. Forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. Those words are like a sledgehammer to the wounded spirit. Because you cannot live one more day on this earth and afford to be unforgiving to someone else. Because what does not heal within you will ultimately kill you. Jesus taught us to pray to forgive. And so I'm preaching today that it was just a small wound. But even small wounds can bring down big trees. And this is the story of Mephibosheth in our text, the son of Jonathan, grandson of King Saul. Scripture says that he was caught up in the chaos of his family's problems and wound up wounded in the process. And Mephibosheth didn't cause it. But he paid a price for his grandfather's failure. His grandfather, King Saul, if you know the story, started out anointed. But he was impulsive and impatient. And, and insulted God by standing in the place of the prophet to offer up sacrifice. And in that moment, the kingdom is stripped from King Saul. Mephibosheth was just a toddler at the time. Maybe just a twinkle in his daddy's eye. But as a result, the kingdom would eventually be stripped from Saul. And God removes his blessings from Saul and his lineage. And when judgment on Saul finally comes years later... Guess who's standing by his side in the day of the battle? It's Jonathan, Mephibosheth's father. And all of his uncles are fighting alongside King Saul against the Philistines when the battle takes a turn for the worse. And in one day, the Bible says King Saul died. And his son, Jonathan, died with him. And in one day, Mephibosheth lost his father and his grandfather. And he's just a little boy in the care of a nurse, left at home, safe from the battle. Only five. But in this moment, it was as if the trajectory of his life was swinging in an altogether different direction that he could have never seen coming and never controlled. It wasn't even his fault. Just a five-year-old boy. But the scripture says that the nurse who was charged to care for him was fleeing and running because she feared what would happen to the king's family in the aftermath of his death. And in the scurry out of the house, she dropped him. And in that one hasty moment, it led to a lifetime of pain and suffering. And separation for Mephibosheth. Second Samuel 4, 4 says, Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. This is his story. A five, I have a five-year-old son. I couldn't help but relate. He has no control 
over the outcome of his life at the age of five. He has no control over the decisions that I make or that my, my parents make. He, he has no control. Mephibosheth, just a baby boy in the care of his nurse. It's not even his fault, but he's wounded in the escape. He's dropped by his nurse. And the Bible says that he's wounded by the one that was supposed to take care of him. I remember when Jaira was just a, a toddler. She, uh, I, I was coming down the stairs with her. She was about a year and a half years old. And uh, I was a young dad. And I always live in a hurry. And so I was running down the stairs in socks. And when I hit that last step, my foot missed. And I fell forward with my baby girl in my hands and I did my best to turn midair but when she fell her ankles cracked into each other and I watched her over the next couple of days she cried and cried and she would try to get up and walk like she had done before but she couldn't walk anymore and we got scared and we took her to the doctor and the doctor wore me out how could you drop this baby how could you hurt her man I told him I said doc there's nothing you can tell me that I haven't already said to myself because it wasn't her fault she was dealing with a wound that I gave her and that was Mephibosheth the nurse was supposed to take care she was there to guard him and to protect him she was there to keep him to feed him and to nourish him but in the middle of the chaos she got in too big of a hurry and maybe your foot missed a step somebody did something and she fell and he fell with her and he never walked again from the age of five years wounded you see I'm preaching to people today who know what it's like to be dropped I'm not talking about on your head <laughs> maybe a few of those too know what it is to be let down by somebody who was supposed to care for you can I get an amen I'm preaching to people today who had somebody who dropped you maybe it was a parent in your life Maybe it was a spouse that stepped out on you. Maybe it was even a pastor perhaps. But I'm preaching to people who know the pain of being let down by someone who you were counting on. Somebody that you believed in. Somebody that disappointed you. Somebody that hurt you. That friend that you thought would stick closer than a brother that drifted away and left you high and dry. That person that you pinned your hopes and your dreams on and it never worked out. You've been dropped. You see, those are the kind of wounds that live on inside of us. The, a few years ago, it was a trending on Twitter, hashtag church hurt. And if you would have read through it, you would have found many tragic stories of spiritual abuse. Sad stories of being rejected and hurt. And listen, if you've been in the ministry very long, you're going to experience some wounds. I'm sorry to say that sometimes the people who are there to help you end up hurting you. We need to remind ourselves today that the church is a hospital. Can somebody agree with me? The church is a place for the hurting. It's a place to find healing. It's a place that God brought us together not to tear each other down, but to lift one another up.
It's a place where God wants to call people so that when they're wounded and when they're suffering that there is a safe place for them. And I'm sorry to say that sometimes church folks will let you down, but I'm here to preach to you that even if a nurse dropped you, even if a pastor hurt you, even if a, a friend or a saint betrayed you, Jesus will never let you down. Why? Because people aren't perfect. But we know the great physician. We know the God who looks past our faults and our failures. And no matter how dirty, no matter how messed up we are, no matter how far gone we are, He loves us anyways. Somebody dropped you. Mephibosheth was hurt by the one who was supposed to heal. It was his nurse. And she didn't mean to. It wasn't intentional, but she left him with a lameness that would live with him for the rest of his life. Is it okay if I just interject a word of wisdom here? Is it okay? And I don't mean that in the, in the sense of the spiritual gifts. This is just good wisdom. It's regular old wisdom. Is when people hurt you, usually they're not trying to hurt you. Usually they ain't doing it on purpose. But in their own heart and their mind, they're trying to do what's best either for themselves for the situation and sometimes we are just collateral damage in other people's good intentions and so here's what you've got to do is you've got to let people off the hook can somebody hear me in the Holy Ghost you've got to let people off the hook you can't look sideways at people the rest of your life because you got wounded unintentionally you've got to forgive and let it go because if you don't it'll live inside of you come on somebody let them off the hook Forgive. Mephibosheth was hurt. She left him with a lameness that he would live with the rest of his life. But here, here's the real problem. Is that it became more than just a momentary wound. Suddenly his identity was wrapped up in what happened to him. It was a part of who he was. And, and it's one thing to have something happen to us. But it's another thing when we feel wounded beyond repair. When we begin to identify with our pain rather than our promises. When we begin to associate with our struggles rather than our strengths. I've seen it happen time and time again. Is When you're wounded, it's easy to let the situation devolve into where you identify yourself by your greatest moment of pain and struggle. And from that day forward, he was no longer Mephibosheth. We read it in the scripture. He was Mephibosheth, the cripple. What label did your pain put on you? What label might you be wearing today that your wounding put on you? What label do you walk around? Maybe, maybe nobody calls you that. But maybe it's just what you see when you look in the mirror. It's, you're that kid that was abused. You're the one whose family wasn't ever there for you. You're the one that was let down. You're the one that got dropped. Why didn't you have it like everybody else had it? Why didn't you catch the breaks that David's boys caught? Why do, and you can start, if you're not careful, to identify with what happened to you. I know I'm preaching today. Somebody needs to hear because I believe that there are people who seem fine on the outside, but you struggle mighty on the inside. You see, something happens when our wounds define us, we feel disqualified. Can I get an amen? He was born a prince, 
But Mephibosheth lived as a beggar. He's supposed to be destined for the throne, but now he is crippled. And he lives in a day that did not have the American Disabilities Act. Thank God we live in a country that makes room for those that have such disabilities and struggles. But Mephibosheth lived in a day that marginalized and distanced itself from the wounded. And we see the destiny of crippled man throughout Scripture over and over again. We see it in Acts 4 when Peter is walking into the temple. And there was a man who had for 40 years lay crippled at the gate of the temple. Why was he at the gate? Because he's not allowed in. It's against the law for him to go into the presence of God wounded like he is. Why is he outside the gate? Because the Bible says they brought him there every day. He couldn't even bring himself. And so he was being bore up by other people and laid at the gate. And the Bible said every day he rattled his cup. Alms, alms. And he lived as a beggar because of his disability. We see that destiny running throughout Scripture in the Levitical guidelines of the priesthood. There was no place of service in the tabernacle for a crippled man. No place in the priesthood. Leviticus 21.18 For no one who has a blemish shall draw near. A man blind or lame or one who has a mutilated face or even a limb too long. Listen, look down. If your one leg is longer than your others, you're out. Can't get into the house of God. Locked out of priesthood. And so Mephibosheth's wound disqualified him from entering God's house. It left him a beggar in the house of a man named Machir. And it drove him far from the king's table. And so what, what Mephibosheth does not know is that on the other side of the equation and on the other side of the story, while he's living wounded, there has been a transition and a new king is now on the throne. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan, but he is crippled in his feet. It's like Ziba was just swiping him out of the way. He says, yeah, there's only one left, David, but you don't want to mess with him. He's the crippled one. He's the wounded one. He's not what you're looking for. King Ziba was merely repeating the mentality of his day. Because of his disability, he was thought to be unqualified to care for his own inheritance. Get this. He was supposed to, he was the last living descendant of a king. And he was supposed to inherit all the houses, the lands, and the fields that Grandpa Saul owned. But instead, he was crippled as a child. And so he was living out his days in the house of another man, eating at another man's table. And Ziba, his father's servant, was taking care of what should have been Mephibosheth's right and destiny. Driven from destiny because he was wounded. And so Ziba was merely, merely representing the mentality and, and because he was a cripple, it was thought that he could never have a place at the king's table. King's tables require excellence and talent and ability. David was invited to King Saul's table after he killed Goliath. They brought David to the palace and gave him a seat at the table. That's how it's usually done. You do something great and you're invited in. David stood up for his nation and he earned 
his spot by slaying a giant. King's tables was the place of the king's sons and the king's most mighty men. Look through David's story. His mighty men sat at his table with him and his sons. And so the real question that Ziba was throwing out there, is there a place for the wounded among the mighty? Is there a place for the wounded among the sons of the king? Is there a place for the wounded in the house of majesty? Is there really room for one like that here? There was no handicapped space at the king's table. And see, when our wounds define us, we begin to feel the disqualification and rejection. Like we can never measure up. Like we can never overcome. Like blessings are for other people, but not for us. Like others might be able to be used of God mightily, but not me because my story is different. When our wounds define us, we feel disqualified and rejected. When our wounds define us, we feel disconnected. Somebody say disconnected. 2 Samuel 9, 4, the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said, he's in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth was living in a town called Lodabar. That word literally means no pasture or no word. He was living in a place that was barren. He was living past where the mail routes ran. They couldn't even get news there. You know, you guys have been to places like that. We freak out when our cell phone signal goes down. That's Lodabar. When you're so far out, you can't even hear what's going on in society. That's where he is living. Why? Because he expected the king to kill him. He expected to be delivered up to the Gibeonites to death like the other sons of Saul. He expected the king to judge him and to do away with him. And so he was living in hiding in a place called Lodabar. There is no pasture there. Listen, there is no shepherd there because there is no pasture there. There are no sheep there. There's nothing really to eat. They got to ship it in. And he doesn't have a way to make money anyways because he's living in the house of another man, eating at another man's table. He's in low Debar, a barren place, a place where he receives no word, where he can't even hear from the king, and the king can't even find him. How do we know? Because he had to get Ziba, the one man who knew where Mephibosheth might be. He's living disconnected, incommunicado, in disconnection, a long way out in a barren place, feeling so far from the king. He wasn't there because of his actions. It wasn't his fault. But hear me right now. He was there because of his reaction. Sometimes it's not what happens to you that leads you to a barren place. It's what happens in you. Mephibosheth was living in fear and in isolation Afraid to be close to the king's house, living life at a distance. Secretly, I'm sure he wished for what others had. But Lodabar is a hopeless place. It's a place of fear and anxiety. People don't pray in Lodabar. People don't worship in Lodabar. People don't hear God's voice in Lodabar. There is no shepherd there because there is no pasture. And you know you're living in Lodabar when you've given up on a better ending. Mephibosheth is born a, a prince, but he lives 
as a beggar. And here's what I've come to preach. I'm coming to an end. Musicians want to come. In any other time period in history, Mephibosheth's actions would have been warranted. At any other time, underneath almost any other king, it would have made a lot of sense to live life like Mephibosheth was living it. Just doing the best he could in a barren place. But Mephibosheth was living under the reign of a different king. And on the other side of the story, there was a new king sitting on the throne. And he wasn't looking to take Mephibosheth out. He wasn't looking to disqualify him. He wasn't looking to do away with him. In spite of his wounds and his troubles, there was a king, because of his covenant love with another, wanted to bring Mephibosheth in. And here is the picture of grace. David said, Mephibosheth, I want to show you the kindness of God. This is a different kind of king. The Bible says that David was, you know what, a man after what? God's own heart. And Mephibosheth, you're wounded, you're isolated, you're dejected, you're depressed, living so far outside of what you were born to inherit. But Mephibosheth, I don't want to take you out. I want to bring you in. And David said, is there anyone in Jonathan's house I can show kindness to? David was operating on the premise of a covenant. Way back, he made a covenant with Jonathan that he would bless his house. And Mephibosheth thought it was all about himself. That if he could just be qualified, if he could just walk again, if he could just stand on his own two feet, if he could just overcome the trouble, maybe I'll get free. But what Mephibosheth did not know is that his invitation to the table was not based upon himself. But it was based upon another who put his life in David's place and said, my life is as your life. And I give you my throne. What a picture of Jesus. David was saying, Mephibosheth, it ain't about how qualified you are. It's not about how good you can be. It's not about how perfect you can put your life together. Because I am not inviting you into my house based upon what you can do for me. But I'm inviting you in based upon what I can do for you. So the king was on a mission to bring Mephibosheth back from low to bar. And David found out about the crippled boy living in Lodabar and he did not hesitate to send him an invitation to come to the king. He wasn't fazed by his condition. He wasn't satisfied when he heard how he had been living. But David sent and brought him from the house of Amiel at Lodabar. And what Mephibosheth didn't know is that that small invitation was about to change his whole life. It was about to turn everything around. Would you stand with me? One day, 
was living as a beggar. And he didn't even know that on the other side of the story, the love of a king was working on his behalf. He didn't know that in the space of one day, he could be transformed from a beggar into a prince. Listen, just in the close of this message, just listen to the words that David and Mephibosheth share and let it speak to your spirit for a moment. Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, came to David and fell on his faith. And he said, David, and Mephibosheth, uh, David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, I am your servant. He lowered himself in the presence of the king. He said, I'm just a servant. Just a dead dog. That's who I am. I have nothing to bring you. Nothing to offer. And David said, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And listen to what he says. And I will restore you, you all the land of Saul, your father. And you will always have a place at my table. Mephibosheth came with a servant mentality. But listen. David said, I'm going to make you like my son. I'm going to make you as one of my sons. I'm going to lift you up out of your low place. I'm going to put a robe on you. It's just like the prodigal son. I'm going to put a ring on you, Mephibosheth. And everything that you were supposed to live in, I'm going to give back to you, Mephibosheth. Everything that you thought your wounding took away, you, you thought that your wounding stole away. He said, I am a different kind of king. And so I'm here to give you back what you lost. I am here to restore and to heal and to save and to deliver. Would you hang on with me for one more minute? I want you to hear this. Mephibosheth was not the only cripple in the land. He was not the only one with a tragic history and a background. But the difference in his life came down to the fact that there was a different king on the throne of his life. He did not come on his own merits, but because of the investment and the love of the one that went before him. And he was able, listen to me, to stand in places that he never should have been allowed. He was seated at a table that by all accounts he was unqualified to sit at. He found himself ascending to a place that he did not deserve because of a king who saw him through the eyes of grace. He was wounded. He had tragedy behind him. He was no stranger to the dark days of doubt and depression. He knew what it was to live in a land called Lodabar. The place of no communication. His injury had isolated him, separated him, driven him away from everything he was destined to inherit. And his future seemed as if it had been determined by the failure of another. But the nurse who was supposed to care for him had dropped him. And if we aren't careful... Our wounds will drive us into an alternate life, an alternate existence. Our failures and faults will preach to us an alternate message about who God is and about who you are. And they tell us we will never be enough. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Our tragedies talk to us. They cause us to call ourselves dead dogs because we see only through the lens of our own lameness. We grow eerily familiar with living like that. And so we drift away to a far place, well below where the king would have us. The story 
should have been like so many before and after them. But the difference was in the king. I want to tell someone today that Jesus is the king that you've been looking for. Jesus is the king that you've been looking for. And in this house and in this moment, so many reasons to stay far away if you'll just come and humble yourself before the king God will begin a work in your life yes he was wounded but through grace he was welcome and we have an invitation from the king and you've disqualified yourself but God is saying I see past your addiction just come I see past your pain just come I see past your distrust and the barriers and walls you built so just come on home just come on back there's a place at my table for you whatever you've been dealing with that nobody knows and you've been dying slowly inside he says come there's a place of life and a place of hope at my feet.